1: Right now on Fast, the vicious April sell-off showing no signs of letting up. Tech stocks leading the market lower. The Nasdaq down over 12 percent this month, and tech is sinking after hours as well. Alphabet now dropping after uh, after hours on an earnings miss. Texas Instruments lower, too, inside the markets. Next move straight ahead. Plus, Elon Musk got Twitter, but at what price? Tesla, the worst-performing stock in the Nasdaq and S&P today, losing over $120 billion in market cap. Is there still more pain to come? And later, a major buzzkill. General Electric tumbling more than 10%. Take away the eight for one reverse split uh, last year. And this former Dow component is almost a single-digit stock. Can this industrial giant ever recover? Welcome to Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee, live from the Nasdaq Market Site in the heart of Times Square, New York City. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Steve Grosso, and Guy Adami. We start off with that major market sell-off on Wall Street. The Nasdaq plunging nearly four percent, posting its lowest close since December 2020. The index now on pace for its worst month since October of 2008. The S&P and Dow also dropping more than 2%. It was the S&P's lowest close since the middle of March. The move hitting mega cap tech particularly hard. The five biggest companies in the world losing a combined $420 billion in market cap today alone. And Netflix taking another tumble. The stock is down 43% since reporting earnings last week. And the reports we just got after the bell, they're doing nothing to stop the bleeding. Take a look at the moves in Alphabet, Microsoft, and Texas Instruments After Hours, all dropping on the back of their results. We've got team coverage standing by on these names. Steve Kovac on Microsoft, but we start off with Deidre Bosa on Alphabet's quarter. Debo.
2: So, Melissa, as expected, decelerating growth, but Alphabet is, remember, more insulated from some of those macro factors that are hitting others in the digital ad space. It's got diverse verticals, high U.S. exposure, and low SMB concentration. Not that that's helping shares in the after hours. YouTube, more vulnerable than the broader ad search business. Revenue there dipped below that $7 billion quarterly revenue mark that it had been surpassing the last few reads. Uh, CFO Ruth Porat telling me that while it is primarily an ad-supported model, they are seeing its subscription business grow substantially and time on the platform grow. She said that she is liking, the team's liking the innovations there. Cloud was a bright spot, continuing to see top-line growth, significant or slightly, I should say, narrowing losses, still about a billion dollars, however. On the earnings call that is just kicking off at the moment, I am expecting to hear more from Porat and CEO Senator Pachai on the ad growth deceleration and when they might expect a recovery. So we will bring you any updates as we hear them. Back to you, Melissa.
1: All right. Thank you, Deidre. Now let's get to Microsoft lower now despite earnings and revenue beats. CNBC's Steve Kovac with the key takeaways here. Steve.
3: Yeah, that's right. Two key, key two key takeaways from this report. Investors keying in on cloud growth and Azure delivered, growing 46 percent. That's a beat well above the street's estimates of about 43 percent growth. But shares still under pressure as that Azure growth slows. It's the second consecutive quarter, Mel. Azure grew less than 50 percent. And the story emerging here is it's not good enough to beat on those estimates anymore. You have to absolutely annihilate them. And that didn't happen this time. And then there's Office, the productivity segment that includes Office is up 17 percent, over 15 billion in revenue. And this includes the first months of price increases with more coming in the summer as they raise prices on monthly subscribers, getting them to the annual subscription plans. And that's the story around Office going forward, using that pricing power Microsoft has in Office as they run out of room to sign up new customers. Shares are down now, but once we get on the earnings call at 530, I'll be back with more for you soon, Mel
1: all right thanks so much steve keep us posted so these declines in the after hours that we're showing you on top of three plus percent declines in the regular session the earnings tim
4: not too bad here. Well, i tell you what. So in Google's case, the in the after hours, you're down 15% in five sessions. You know, with Google, uh, the ad revenue growth of 23%, but missed. Uh, disappointed by YouTube. When I think of ad revenue and I think of Google uh, and I think of a company that's can, still going to grow 20%, and maybe this is a little bit of a disappointment. This is a company that is the leader, 29% in a $660 billion global ad market, uh, a company that on a valuation basis should not be thrown into high multiple tech land. In fact, Karen talks about this all the time, so I'll let her get there. I'll just throw the number out. 140 bucks a share next year. This is a 16 multiple on 23 with big buybacks coming. So, um, look, half of the S&P... Uh, reports this week in a market that's kind of in freefall. You gave those numbers. I mean, this is extraordinary crosswinds. And which is the tail and which is the dog? I get the sense that if the market wasn't doing this, uh, Google wouldn't have done this if that doesn't sound obvious. But it's not really, because, in fact, I, I do think held to its own standard, these numbers were not bad at all.
1: They weren't. Mm-hmm. And it's just the context of this market. It's not about the valuation of these particular stocks. It's about a re-rating of the overall markets so that we're witnessing here, Karen. But mm-hmm. what did you make of the quarters Uh, and in the context Uh, of the market?
5: Well, uh, Microsoft, just that, I mean, that cloud number was, I thought, laughably good. Stocks down three bucks, which I guess in this tape is now known as up. But it just seemed to me like, wow, that's, uh, you know, the street just can't be, uh, they're going to be disappointed no matter what. You and I talked a little bit about that before the show. But for Google, you know, a slight miss, so that's not good. But it's not like this company was trading at a multiple you know, sort of a sky high multiple where you couldn't ever justify it. It was trading at about 20 and change times without, if you back out the cash, even lower. So to miss this much, this much, and to be down 100 and whatever it is now, $130, let's say you annualize this quarter so they would be down, missed by five bucks and yet down by 130 bucks. I don't know where it is right now. That seems like an awfully big sort of uh, extra penalty right. for a, for some disappointment. Very painful to me. It's my biggest position. I still like it. I feel like the story really has not changed. I like the $70 billion buyback. So I on think- On top that, of the 81 uh, billion of
4: a couple of years ago. I mean, they've been buying back so much stock. They have.
5: They have really They have really changed their financial engineering. It used to be they would just sit on that pile of cash and do nothing. Now they're really putting it to work. And at these prices, I th- it's very accretive and they should be
1: doing it. There's a poor output under I'm, Google shares at funnily, this point, yeah. perhaps. Um, Grasso, what did you make of the quarter? And, and, you know, it's not helping the overall markets right now. I mean, I don't know what if this is giving you an indication of how we're going to go tomorrow.
6: Yeah, so so I, I, I think, you know, Tim touched on it that if the overall market wasn't doing what, what it was doing, it's an obvious that this wouldn't be here. Karen touched on the multiple. And just to add another one, EVD, Bada, I think it's trading at about a little over 12 times the 10-year average on that is is actually a little bit higher than where it is, so it's not expensive. And then you couple that with the last three weeks, the stock has went from twenty eight seventy five down to twenty three seventy, uh, basically around the close. Now after hours, getting hit again in the face. So I think that people are misconstruing growth and growth at a reasonable price. This is not Zoom. This is not Peloton. This is not anything else that you thought about in this market. This is Google. But people are scared. They're jumpy. They're nervous. They're worried about Russia, Ukraine. They're worried about Powell. And I think the overall market wants to dip below 4000 in the S&P. Having said that, I think Microsoft actually could be positive before we get off this show.
1: All right. We'll certainly watch the chart. It it may not be a Zoom. It may not be a Peloton guy, but for a lot of investors out there, it feels like that kind of wild ride when you're talking about a 16% decline in Google, which wasn't cheap to begin with in one month. Um, and, And that's the scary thing here.
7: Yeah, well, it's a paradigm shift, right? We talked about it. I mean, Scott talked about it in his show before. What's the right valuation in this environment? The world changed clearly. In November, and for a lot of stocks, changed over the summer in terms of being, uh, you know, worried about valuation. I'll say this: I think everybody would agree we've seen better quarters out of Google. They did miss EPS significantly, and they did miss slightly on revenue. Just to throw that out there. With all that said, I mean the question is: Is 27% down from the all-time high enough? And I, you're getting to levels where I think it is. I'll say this as well. I mean, the world is re-rating everything. Google was the, one of the cheaper of these names for a while. I think it's cheaper now, obviously, on valuation. Microsoft, quickly, to Steve's point, you go back to this time last year when it made an all-time high of about 262 sold off, then it was off to the races. That prior resistance becomes support. And I'll say this, in a different environment, I think pre-November, this Microsoft quarter with, I thought it was 49% Azure growth year over year, but we're splitting hairs. I think the stock's probably up 5%. But again, we're just in a new regime right now for the market.
1: Yeah, we're down by just about nine-tenths of a percent. So we'll see if this one is able to turn, especially when the conference call gets off um, in just about 20 minutes' time. Carter Braxton Worth, our yes. friend and, uh, you know, member of the pantheon of technical analysts mm-hmm. out there, put out a note today saying that the unfilled gap to forty twenty is in play, Tim, on the S&P 500. Do you feel that way as well? That's about a 4.5% decline-ish. Where we Look, are. I
4: was just checking to see what our friend Apple's doing in the aftermarket, based upon at least some of the sentiment from broader tech. It's it's down, you know, it's down a hair. It's yeah. down, it's down 80 bips or so. Um, Apple's the one I want to see, and it's 7% of the S&P, you bet it's being pulled there. I, the 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 chart you need to follow, I continue to say, are semiconductors, the SMH ETF. That's the most important chart. That broke well through those March 14 lows. That is leading everything lower. That broke through support around 220 today, or, or is hovering and challenging that. But the triple Qs broke through that. That 320 level, and I think that's very important. So unfortunately, um, the, the problem here is this is such an important week for tech, the kind that we almost want to get it out of the way. I, I'd like to get Apple's numbers out of the way before we can really assess, but uh, we always listen to Carter to the penny, and, and whether we get there or not uh, in the next couple of days, I do think we're getting there, and I do think that tech is leading us there. Remember, tech had been outperforming the S&P by those couple of days, and I think we said on this desk last night, let's not get carried away. Tech really underperformed today, and Semi's really underperformed tech. And that worries me for the S&P.
1: And then after hours, Guy, what did we get? We got Texan down 5% right now on the back of its quarter.
7: Yeah. And the concern I've had with Texas Instruments forever was valuation. when that was a $200 stock, nobody seemed to care. Now, apparently, everybody seems to care about valuation with Texas Instruments. And we'll just continue to go down the rabbit hole. Look at Nvidia. Look at the sell-off that seen since that recent bounce. And look at AMD which has now been more than cut in half from its recent all-time high of about 160 and change. These are significant moves to Tim's point, and if you want to play the S&P game, absolutely. We did the math for you. How you get to 4,000 again with a 17 and a half multiple ish on about 228 dollars of S&P earnings? Perhaps there you go. That's your number, and I and I've said it for a while. I do think we're getting there. Absolutely.
1: All right. Let's stick with technology and bring in Jared Weisfeld, a U.S. tech sector specialist for Jeffries. Jared, great to have you with us. Before we get to the specific quarters of Microsoft uh, and, and Alphabet, I, I want to get your take overall on this market sell-off. The NASDAQ um, is at its lowest level since December of 2020. Is that where we should be, or do you think that there's more of a re-rating to come?
8: The, the headwinds that the market are facing right now are, are very significant, and I do think the decline is when you start, you know, we were talking about on the show in terms of just the repricing of risk assets, and tech is the worst-performing subsector within all of, uh, within the entire uh, market right now, and specifically within TMT, you know, semiconductors have been leading us to the downside, right? We're all worried about a global cyclical slowdown. We see what's going on with the shape of the yield curves, uh, and semis have been in a really rough spot. So, you know, we're following semis from a price action standpoint. Uh, the world is slowing, and that's having its consequences. Right. So you know t- tonight in particular, really rough night of uh, results from Google and TI in particular. Uh, Microsoft, I agree with what everyone's been saying. I thought that was certainly the uh, the standout of the three that reported tonight. But I think quick answer to your question is, you know, I think it's uh, we're facing headwinds and uh, and tech is certainly facing the brunt of it.
1: Um, what was wrong with Google in your view?
8: So I think I think the big standout from a Google perspective was absolutely the deceleration in YouTube. Right, YouTube is now decelerating to only fourteen percent growth year on year in the current quarter. And that's that's certainly impacted a little bit by FX headwinds. Um, but you know, we, we saw what happened to Netflix last week, right, in terms of there's just more competition for eyeballs on a 24-hour basis, right? And that's not specific to Netflix. You think about just the competitive landscape you know, in the internet, um, and TikTok is gaining share across the board, right? To the point where even Google has introduced uh, introduced their own, you know, competitor to TikTok, and you know, we're we're worried about TikTok competition for Google. We're worried about it for for micro um, for for Facebook, and so I, I certainly think it's uh, it's a combination of YouTube decelerating, and remember, like. Google is stepping up investments, right? They're, they hired Headcount. Uh, the Headcount went up 17% year on year this quarter. So you have the deleveraging of the model with the revenue slowdown.
5: That's Karen. So just to expand on what you are just talking about, when you have the sort of read-through of two negative things for Meta, which is the advertising um, more broadly, and then you have um, specific to YouTube, what do you think we're going to see from Meta? Is the bar low enough? It's actually down seven bucks after hours, but is it low enough or not?
8: You know, I, I think that I think we're, we're going to see more of the same of what we saw from Snap, what we saw from Google, where the businesses started out the quarter pretty strong. Then we had the Russia Ukraine conflict, we had the slowdown. And, you know, when you think about Google and Facebook relative or Google and Meta relative to Snap, right, they've got twice the amount of EMEA exposure. So uh, I'm expecting more of the same uh, from Meta. You know, Meta is further complicated by the fact that. They've been impacted really significantly, not only by TikTok, like we've been talking about, but also from the Apple privacy changes that have really impacted the business. So I think all eyes are going to be on incremental commentary associated with whether or not they've been able to navigate those headwinds successfully, uh, incrementally relative to last quarter. And then, of course, you know, the build out of the metaverse, right? I think there's meta is such a divisive stock right now from conversations that I have just because... You know, Mark Zuckerberg is very adamant on, on building out the metaverse. He's, you know, changed the name of the company to it. He's spending $10 billion a year on, on Facebook Reality Lab. So uh, I think the, the meta story is a little bit more uh, more complicated relative to, uh, to Google.
1: Jared, I'm trying to figure out what the impact of the supply chain issues are now at this point in time. Is it enough to say that China is locking down as much as it had in the early days of the pandemic and so therefore the supply chain issues will be just as severe and so maybe we're going to face them for the next year plus or have we learned a way to work around in any fashion so that the supply chain issues won't be as bad for technology
8: it's probably unfortunately closer to the former uh you know i think the the companies that we're talking about here have done an amazing job in terms of navigating the headwinds um but we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't think that the supply chain headwinds are behind us i think texas instruments uh, earnings are the best example of that right this more uh they put a posted a very solid uh, march quarter but they talked about their june quarter guide being impacted Almost a thousand basis points because of the lockdowns and the COVID nineteen restrictions that are currently ongoing in China. So uh, we're still dealing with complicated supply chain issues, and just given what's going on right now in, in China and Shanghai in particular, uh, it continues to have significant implications across many of these companies, including a company as large as uh, as large as Texas Instruments. Um, and, you know, I, I know Guy was talking about TI uh, a few minutes ago, um, you know, and I think the the other thing to mention on TI is maybe there's a little bit of a silver lining here. This is the first quarter that they've bought back stock in a meaningful way in a long, long time. They repurchased almost $600 million of stock in the quarter versus that $100 million or so for the last year and a half or so. So, you know, maybe, they, maybe we're getting closer to the bottom, and they certainly feel better about it. But uh, maybe that's a silver lining.
1: All right. Jared, always great to get your thoughts. Thank you. Thank you so much. Jared Weisfeld, uh, not a pretty picture for technology, Steve Grasso. Um, what are you thinking about uh, tomorrow, in tomorrow's session, and for the rest of the week as we're getting, we continue to get more earnings?
6: Yeah, I, I think technology is obviously going to be under a tremendous weight until we actually see what the, uh, what the Fed does versus what the market has assumed the Fed is going to do the Fed has no business in trying to talk themselves down into into a more dovish fashion because they want the market to adjust to what's happening right now versus uh, them having to do all the heavy lifting. But the other important thing is the neutral rate that everyone keeps talking about with the Fed. That is neither dovish or hawkish or uh, a tailwind or a headwind to the overall market. If the Fed really wants to stop inflation, they have to go past neutral. So they have to push us into, uh, uh, into a recession. And if that's the case, then the market wants to go lower. So 4,000 might not be where it stopped because we were close enough to that just a handful of weeks ago. I think we could see an overshoot that everyone on this desk has seen in the market uh, all the time. We could see a 38 handle in the S&P before all of this is done.
1: Wow. Coming up, turbulence at JetBlue, the stock dropping more than 10 percent despite better-than-expected results. CEO Robin Hayes will be here to break down the quarter in the airline's flight path after the break. Plus, we're all over the after-hours action in GM. Uh, shares are, let's see where we are, up fairly. It was sort of going back and forth after reporting. We'll go inside the numbers when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. JetBlue stock falling nearly 11.5% today despite reporting a first quarter beat. The airline scaling back its growth plan as consumer demand continues to outstrip their capacity. Our Phil LeBeau is here with the JetBlue CEO in a CNBC exclusive. Phil, take it away.
10: Thank you, Melissa. Robin, uh, Robin Hayes joining us from the JetBlue headquarters. Thank you, Robin, for joining us. Let's get right to the main question everybody has. You had to scale back growth expectations for Q2 and for the remainder of this year. Are people confident at JetBlue that this is it? This is at least a base where we can grow from here? Or do you think it's possible you may have to scale back uh, capacity growth beyond this?
0: Uh, Hi, Phil. Uh, You know, as you know, this is something that we're seeing across the industry at the moment. Incredible demand for air travel, um, but a a number of challenges in uh, ramping up capacity uh, to meet that. Uh, You know, we had ramped up capacity pretty successful all through Last year and into the early part of this year, uh, we got to April, and it was really a confluence of uh, external events like weather, air traffic control programs, and also some of our own internal challenges around staffing and uh, keeping up with training. And uh, all of those came together uh, to create an environment where we really didn't deliver for our customers or our crew members. So we we took a look at the year. Uh, we made a very significant reduction, down about 10 points of uh, uh, capacity. Uh, and, uh, you know, right now, based on what we know, uh, we feel good. I mean, obviously, uh, fuel prices is another unknown into the future. Uh, demand potentially in the back quarter of the year. Um, but right now, based on what we see, you know, we feel good about where we have adjusted to.
10: Robin, were you overly ambitious in terms of scheduling your flights and that were led to some of the problems in April?
0: Yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, we had ramped up uh, very successfully through... Uh, all of uh, last year, Uh, you know, as you know, Phil, the New York area was significantly impacted uh, by COVID. We saw a big uh, bounce back and, uh, you know, when we we got to uh, April, you know, I really think uh, that combination of some of the external uh, pressures in the environment, the staffing challenges aren't just unique to the airline industry, it really impacts all of those uh, around us. And I think uh, uh, when we realized that, you know, I think it was important to act decisively and quickly to restore both our crew members and our customers' confidence in our operation. And and that's what we've uh, done here today.
10: Robin, where do things stand in your discussions with Spirit regarding a possible uh, purchase of Spirit?
0: Well, you know, we're very excited about the uh, possibility of uh, acquiring Spirit and creating a really uh, true national uh, low-fare challenger to the uh, large legacy airlines. You know, obviously, uh, we're in that uh, process now. Uh, I'm going to respect the uh, confidentiality of that process, but, you know, I'm pleased that the, uh, the Spirit Board is engaging with us.
10: Robin, I, I have a ton of questions for you. We're going to have to put them on hold, though. We've got some breaking news. We're going to have to go back to Melissa. Robin Hayes, thank you very much for joining us. Melissa, I'll send it back to you.
1: All right, thanks, Phil. We'll see you in just a minute. Um, meantime, let's get to Julia Borson. now. Breaking news here on Twitter, Julia.
11: Yes, we have some of the details of the deal of Elon Musk acquiring Twitter. Um, there is a termination fee of a billion dollars for either side, for either Musk or Twitter side, if either side terminates the deal. And also, if the deal is not done by October 24th, either party is able to walk away. So these are the details of the merger agreement. One billion dollar termination fee and October 24th is that deadline. Melissa?
1: All right, Julia Borson, thank you. Uh, Karen, you Mm -hmm. are short Twitter. I am. Are -hmm. you still short Twitter just as much? Uh, And what do you make of this all?
5: So um, six months to get the deal closed. Now, remember, they can't delay it on purpose just to get to that deadline. That's what uh, LVMH tried to do with Tiffany. Um, So the termination fee, that's sort of interesting. Um, A billion dollars, I guess, to either party is not that much money, but um, I want to see the details about the we saw some of the loans. We know there's no financing condition, but six months is a long time. And I actually think we're going to see very bad Twitter earnings, especially in light of what we've seen tonight. And so I just don't think the spread will narrow that much.
1: So the stock today was down to. So we were at fifty or something when you put the short on. Fifty
5: one fifty eight. So we're at forty nine or so. 68.
1: At what point would you say take off? The I, short? Did,
5: I did. I did buy back a tiny bit. Um, another buck or two down, I would probably be out.
9: Mm-hmm.
5: It just seemed too tight for what could be a long deal, and it's Elon. Right. right? We could get some regulatory, something out of left field. Mm-hmm. This, you know, Dan, uh, Dan talked about pressure on Tesla stock, even though I doubt that's an out. If I were Twitter board, I would never let the price of Tesla be an out for this deal. But uh, you could see the spread widening as his margin Gets, well, the deal you know, got more expensive
4: for him today, at a minimum, oh, right? right? I mean, right, you yeah. assume he's he's financing through Tesla stock, down twelve percent today. So this is you know, Twitter now it's costing him you know close to sixty billion, or implied if you consider the debt. So. Is
1: this is this a continued overhang, um, guy? In your view, on Tesla shares?
4: I, that's what we
7: thought. We talked about it. You know, we said the tangential, the ancillary play is what happens to Tesla, and we we talked about it the day that Tesla reported. It was the quarter that everybody that had been buying the stock for years had been waiting for and they finally got it. It was a remarkable quarter. We all said that. Then we also said now the bulls have to prove themselves. I think the stock got up to 1085 or so and you see what's happened since. This 900-ish level was remember the prior high way back, I think in February of 2020 or something like that or 2021, whatever it was the year, I'd have to go back and look. My point is this should be support. Also remember, this was a $700 stock just seemingly a month, month and a half ago, (laughs) so there's still some room.
4: Yeah, I, that's what I would say. If you just think about it, the market, market, market on Tesla. Like, I know the Elon stuff makes a lot of sense to be thinking about these side plots. This is a high multiple tech stock. If they're doing this to Google, um, and, and you know, maybe Google's numbers weren't Tesla's numbers. Tesla's production numbers have been fantastic. But you can't tell me this isn't more of a market dynamic. This was a $700 stock on March 14th. Well, it's It's got a date with 700 at least.
1: All right. Speaking of autos, GM volatile after reporting earnings. The automaker doubling down on its 2022 guidance. The call kicking off or kicked off the top of the hour. Let's get back to Phil for some details. Phil. Hey, Melissa, that call
10: going on. Mary Barr just a few minutes ago said that she expects $50 billion in EV revenues by 2025, a little more detail about how she expects that market to grow. They did beat in the bottom line, earning $209 a share. The street was expecting a buck sixty-seven revenue a little light of expectations. And then the question becomes: did they change guidance? And they have not changed their guidance, expecting to earn $13 to $15 billion this year. In Q1, they saw headwinds from commodity costs increasing by two and a half billion dollars and they expect those types of headwinds to continue although they haven't given us an exact dollar figure they expect that through the remainder of this year and they also see the chip supply improving. Lots of questions for GM Chair and CEO Mary Barrow when we talk with her exclusively tomorrow morning on Squawk Box. Do not want to miss what she has to say, especially as she is doubling down on their belief that they will not only be a player but be profitable when it comes to electric vehicles. Melissa, I'll send it back to you.
1: I have two quick questions, Phil, maybe not so quick on the answer side of things, yeah. um, but in terms of, of the commodity cost, do they just eat those costs or, I mean, price of cars are going higher by, by that amount? Right. Or does it have any impact on margin?
10: Oh, no. The the price of cars, I do not believe that they've been able to make that all up in terms of pricing on vehicles. But yes, they have enjoyed better pricing with vehicles. Mm -hmm. Look, there's a lot of cost cutting that's been going on at General Motors for a number of years under Mary Barra. So they've been able to absorb some of this through some of that cost cutting. But uh, ultimately, you know, that's going to hurt. And they're going to be paying that price in terms of those higher inflation costs.
1: Yeah. And then the chip supply problem, Phil, you know, we're seeing lockdowns in China. And so I wonder, you know, how much of that is just going to rear its ugly head once again, even though things look like they're they're improving at, at this moment.
10: Right. They were cautious about their commentary on chips. They simply said they believe it's improving, that they can manage this. You mentioned China, Melissa. That question did come up Mary Barra and she said, Look, we think that we can ultimately get back to pre pandemic levels, but who knows when you're dealing with lockdowns in Shanghai, lockdowns in Beijing? Clearly, that impacts the consumer in China. And remember, that is a huge market for General Motors.
1: Yep. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau. Uh, Tim? You bet.
4: Well, it's a couple things. We're going to always talk about that in this environment, this is an extremely cheap stock now. So after, you know, a pullback of 30, 35 percent on a trailing basis, you know, I, I think it's somewhat relevant here because I think that that profitability in their business, that demand in their business is still there. At least uh, it's five point six times I see on the tape. They say they have extreme pricing opportunities in all of their products. So I think they think they can pass it on. I also see them saying we're going to make 25 to 30 percent more cars. We're going to produce 25 to 30. Percent more cars in twenty two than twenty one. So, um, despite supply chain, despite chip shortages, um, they are not necessarily running into walls on manufacturing.
1: Yeah, Steve. What? What do you? I mean, the stock is uh, up a fraction of a percent in the after hour session, which is, I mean, probably amazing in the, in the context <laughs> of this market.
6: You know, th- this actually fits under that pick your poison title where you have GM is down thirty five percent year to date. Ford's down. 29% year to year to date. But, but touching on that chip shortage, I think we're going to go from a chip shortage to a chip glut. And it'll probably happen sooner than everyone thinks because all the car companies and everyone alike will start to over-order. Order when you can, and whenever they're delivered, they'll just keep them in a warehouse someplace. So I think things will get a little bit rosier. But for me, and I think the marketplace, this is about evs and this is about the chevy silverado this is about the f ford uh, ford f-150 the problem is evs are thrown out with growth stocks right now and that's what we're suffering from because these aren't being priced as car companies they're being priced as growth companies ev is that growth element and as we've seen they're throwing out growth
1: all right let's get back to today's top story and that of course is the massive market sell-off stocks dropping sharply during today's session? With the Nasdaq erasing more than a year's worth of gains, the tech-heavy index falling nearly four percent, its worst day since September 2020. Could there be even more pain ahead? China, we mentioned China throughout the show, ramping up COVID testing in Beijing with the possibility of shutting down that city if anyone, anyone tests positive. Shanghai already under lockdown measures. What kind of impact could this have on the market? We've been talking about the supply chain a lot. That really has gotten us into a lot of trouble, Guy, when it comes to meeting demand and and fulfilling production levels. And here we are again. It seems like back to square one.
7: You have to wonder, though, I mean, not to play the conspiracy theorist that I like to play all the time, but it's it's interesting Mm -hmm. where these lockdowns came. No, well, I mean, think about when the lockdowns took place. And again, you know, if the Chinese want to hurt our economy, what better way than to sort of shut things down there? I think they're willing to take their short-term pain for the long-term gain which is something they've been trying to do all along. So, I hear you. I think that's obviously a huge impact on our market, supply chains and all those things. But to answer the original question, is there more pain to come in the market? I think the answer is a resounding yes. I don't think you've seen, believe it or not, even with some we just talked about some of these chip stocks down 50%, even with that, I don't think you've seen the capitulation yet.
5: So capitulation, we always see the VIX spike, you know, yeah. Tim loves to talk about the VIX and it's really important here. So 31 and change, I don't know where it went out. If you look back over the last several years, other than the very beginning of when, when we shut down for COVID, 35-ish was sort of where, where the buy signal was on the VIX. Not
4: far. Tomorrow would it be higher. And and we're seeing a response in the Treasury market also that is indicative at least of flight to quality or flight to safety. Or um, So you've had a 25 basis point rally uh, from around 294 on the 10-year and essentially on the same thing on the two-year note. The other dynamic for markets that also tells you that there's a lot of fear out there, we've had a 5% move, a 5% move in the dollar um, over the last 20 sessions. We've had almost a 10% over the last six months. You've got six of the world's largest central banks. We've got a Fed meeting, so the largest next week. And I I just you can't not see markets preparing for this. And and so I know we've priced in a lot of Fed. And if anything, maybe people are unwinding a bit here. But this is the other part of what the markets did today. Massive dollar move. We've had one every single day uh, over the last five and and another big move in Treasuries.
1: A running theme has, of course, been a pull forward effect from the pandemic. We saw that when it came to trading too, with the uh, with the increase of retail investors in the markets today, what did we hear today after the bell? Robinhood laying off nine yeah. percent of its workforce. Steve Grasso. maybe that is sort of a barometer of where we are at in this market. A lot of market pundits were saying, you know, on the margin, even the the, the impact of the retail investor helped the markets go higher. Where are we now? <laughs> they are pulling out. We heard that again and again from the from the e-brokers. <laughs>
6: not only are they pulling out, but just think logistically they're going back to work. So they spent a lot of time sitting in front of their computers on, on Zoom calls where they'd keep their stapler on the mouse and act as if they were still working, but they'd be trading on whatever retail investment or order management system that they had. So I think we're going to see the new dynamic when people actually get back to the workplace, but no doubt this is affecting the retail investor the stock markets, and, and, and corporate America as a whole.
1: The stapler on the yeah. mouse. Wow. You, you said that Great like, trick. What's it mean? Like you knew how to do it. I've my, never heard of that before. My,
6: <laughs> my, my, yeah, my, na- my neighbor told me this years ago, pre-pandemic. He was a work from home, where, where before anyone worked from home, and I said, how do you do it, dude? I, I see you running around town and tweeting about this. And he said, yeah, I just put my stapler on my mouse so they think I'm engaged with the computer. <laughs>
1: P.S.A. Great school. The more you know. Um, let's take <laughs> one more look at the broader market action today. Stocks finishing on their lows in a brutal sell-off, and unfortunately, one whale in the options market just made a $50 million bet that the carnage is far from over. Mike Coe has the action, Mike.
12: Yeah. So uh, on a day like today, you would expect to see above average options volume in some areas. And today, pretty much the only area that was seeing really well above average options activity were the broad market proxies. So I'm talking about the VIX index, the SPX index, SPY queues, and IWM. One of the trades that certainly caught my eye was a, a huge trade that took place in the SPX index. There we saw uh, 9,375, 3950, 4550 collars trade against a combo. That's a buyer of the 3950 strike puts in July, seller of the 4550 calls. If you're buying those puts, then obviously you think the damage is not done, or at least there is considerable risk that we approach that strike less the premium that those costs, and that was about 100 bucks for those. So that's targeting an area around 3850. This would be protecting a portfolio of just under four billion dollars.
1: All right. Mike, thank you. Mike Co. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, we've got more earnings coming your way. Shares at Chipotle and Visa on the move after their earnings reports. The details are next. Don't go anywhere. Fast when he's back in two. Welcome back, coming up in just a few minutes on Mad Money Kramer's exclusive interview with Chipotle CEO, Brian Nickel. Here's a sneak peek.
3: We're doing everything we can to avoid having to pass on pricing, um, but it, it, you know, it's getting harder and harder. Uh, here's an interesting fact, Jim, just in the last 18 months, um, you know, if you look at what our food costs have been over the last 10 years, they're up like 10 points. 50% of that increase has happened in the last 18 months.
1: All right. Well, Chipotle shares um, are moving higher after an earnings beat after the bell. Kate Rogers has been digging into the numbers here, Kate.
11: Melissa Chipotle out with beats on the top and bottom lines for Q1. Same-store sales also up 9%. That was a beat as well. Restaurant operating margin a bit below estimates in the face of cost pressures, as you just heard, with food, beverage, and packaging costs coming in a bit higher than had been projected. Those strong sales helping to offset partially those higher costs in the quarter for beef, avocados, and more. CEO Brian Nichols saying there's been very little resistance to price hikes so far from consumers, which were up about 4% in the quarter, up about 10% year-on-year in-restaurant sales increased 33.1%, while digital sales represented about 42% of food and beverage revenue. The brand's loyalty program, Chipotle Rewards, now has 28 million members. For the second quarter, the company's projecting comps to increase between 10 and 12%, also better than projected. Nickel also touting new menu item, Polio Asada, as the most popular new protein that they have had to date. Back over to you. All
1: right, Kate, thank you. Kate Rogers. I love how they just put something on the menu, and it's been something that that's, you know, well-known. Yeah, What's elsewhere. the big deal? What's it's the like, big Ooh. deal?
4: I'm not that impressed. Um,
1: after hours, the stock is up 3.5%, which in the context of the market guy is a burrito blowout. <laughs>
7: we had to do that. <laughs> well, it's listen, it's always a burrito blowout. And this, again, another <laughs> solid quarter. They beat on EPS. Beat on revenue. As again, Kate mentioned operating margins. For context, 20.7% this quarter. Same quarter last year, 22.3%. Not a disaster. They're going to talk about 30% EPS growth for a company trading at about 35 times-ish next year's numbers. I happen to think you can make a pretty compelling case for that. I think the high on the street is 2,100, significantly lower, obviously, than the recent all-time high. You know I love the company. You know I love the stock. It's just a question of, were people comfortable with the valuation in this environment? They should be because they're doing everything right.
5: I actually had a higher valuation in the low 40s as a PE. It's interesting to me that a miss on the margin, um, even in the great quarter, for sure, they weren't penalized. Even with a really high-flying stock, right. it seemed to be immune to some of the other reactions. Well, the stock's it, always yeah. immune.
4: It's, I mean, well, they, well it,
5: usually they beat on every metric. I mean, this is an outstanding quarter, no question.
4: But a 10 but, to 12 percent comp coming off a nine, which beat <laughs> an eight. You know, I mean, these these are crazy numbers. And and you think about a world where at some point food prices are going to be uh, coming down. and And to the extent that they have some pricing power, and I realize we don't all expect that in the next couple months. But um, they have pricing power. He said that. Uh, clearly, for now, people are going back into stores, although digital sales, I think, are still 49% of the overall sales, which is why the stock gets the multiple it gets.
1: Who else in food grasso has pricing power like CMG?
6: Well, the, 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 what I was going to say is, to, to Tim's point, Guy's point, when, when, you, when you say you have pricing power right now, they're trying not to pass on price increases, but that doesn't mean that they're, not, that they're not going to pass on price increases. So if you look at the burrito blowout that you called it, it's still trapped under all of its moving averages. If you look at the chart, the chart doesn't look so great uh, to me. It's still down 17% year to date. The nearest moving average is the 50-day at 1525. So if you want to really talk about pricing power, I would probably go down a little on the food chain and on pricing, and I would go to McDonald's. McDonald's is only down 7%, but if the consumer becomes a little more strapped as we're moving forward in this environment, as we start to move maybe into a recession,
1: I think you go with McDonald's. All right, coming up, the earnings not stopping. Visa on the move after reporting the details from the quarter are next in April. It's Financial Literacy Month. here. CNBC contributor Sarat Sethi on why personal finance should be taught in school.
7: I am a strong believer that a personal finance class should be given to every student in high school, it should be given to every student in college, and I think every consumer needs to understand what is personal finance, what it means for them currently, and what it could mean for them in the future.
1: Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert for you on Visa, the financial services company beating on the top and the bottom line, surging higher. Let's get to Kate
9: Rooney for more. Kate. Hey, Melissa. A strong quarter for Visa thanks to a rebound in consumer spending as some of the COVID restrictions and travel restrictions in general ease a bit. The earnings and revenue beat driven by that strong spending. That's measured by processed transactions. That came in at $44.8 billion. Payments volume up 17% and cross-border volume, which had gotten hit during COVID lockdowns, showing some recovery as well. That was up 38 percent year over year. The call is still going on. CEO Al Kelly talking a lot about the strength of the consumer. He says they're not seeing a slowdown on spending due to inflation, Omicron, or the war in Eastern Europe. He says, quote, after a short four to five week impact of Omicron in December and January in the U.S. and many parts of the world, the recovery, he says, continues to be robust. At this stage, in terms of volumes, we have seen no noticeable impact due to inflation, supply chain issues, or the war in Ukraine. Al Kelly's comments really mirror what we heard from American Express last week on that earnings call. A lot of talk about the strong consumer and not much of an impact uh, due to inflation in terms of spending. We also get MasterCard and PayPal this week, a big week for the fintech and payment companies. All tend to be bellwethers for consumer spending. And guys, a big interview tomorrow night. Visa CEO Al Kelly on Mad Money with Jim Kramer. You don't want to miss that one, Melissa. Right back right, to you. Kate.
1: Kate, thank you. Kate Rooney. Karen, what's the read through here to the other ones, MasterCard and PayPal?
5: I think good for MasterCard. Obviously, those two move together. PayPal, a little bit of a different animal. One thing about PayPal, um, I own some. I'd like to buy more, but I want to see the news who the new CFO is first. So uh, I don't think we'll get that on earnings this week, but that'll be important because then we always talk about, oh, Do we have a kitchen sink quarter with a new, certainly with a new CEO? Do we have that with a new CFO? I don't know. Guy?
7: 68% operating margins for Visa. I mean, not a lot of companies can say that. 18% EPS growth. The stock has sold off since a recent all-time high. I don't think you're going to get hurt here. I like Visa. People will knock it on valuation. That's been a knock for at least the last 10 years. I think you can own Visa here.
4: These numbers were fantastic. And, and it's interesting to hear a CEO. He sounds like an airline CEO. They're all saying the same thing. And, and at the day with so much doom and gloom, uh, people are talking about the global economy, they're not running into those international transaction fees were great. Their business is up 113 percent on net revenues over the 2019 comp. So um, I think this payment space looks great right now. And even if you're getting slowing, uh, there's still a lot pent up for these companies. This, these are fantastic numbers.
1: Coming up, shares of GE dropping hard on the back of its earnings this morning. We'll tell you what had investors unplugging. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a buzzkill on GE, the stock plunging to March 2020 levels today. Despite an earnings beat, GE closed a day more than 10% lower. Steve, you own this one?
6: I still own it. And, and yes, it's been disappointing. And now with, with everything with a reverse split, it's hard to say when I said twa 20 in 2020, everyone is just so confused at what 20 looks like, but it's not there yet. And it doesn't look like it's getting there anytime soon on a uh, split adjusted price. But when you have CULP say that we're entering or we're in a very challenging environment it's not gonna help existing shareholders, and it's certainly not gonna help anyone who's going to be buying it. But GE uh, Aviation, you're, you're starting to see uh, companies, especially obviously the airlines, are starting to add a little bit of tailwinds to that, that arm of it. Healthcare is not growing nearly what it should be growing. There's just too much under the hood there if the economy's slowing, and that's why you see major headwinds in my opinion.
1: Yeah, it's double the decline of the industrials in the past month, Tim,
4: you once owned it. Yeah, and and we, we, we joked that we put them in the lame camp for this (laughs) reverse split and and it's you know you're not fooling anybody um what they're definitely not fooling and using steve's term of looking under the hood one of the big problems with these numbers were that they were free cash flow negative in the quarter this is a company that's been trying to pay down debt it's a company that has balance sheet issues and i think that's the biggest part of it. their aviation business was very strong um but the other parts of their business they're citing inflation they're supplying supply challenges they're citing russia um where they have had a very big business
1: All right. Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Steve Grasso. So Chewy is my
6: final trade. If you look back at this one, it's trading at its pre-pandemic level. People bought pets over the pandemic. They got to feed them. I don't care what margins are. Chewy, it's a buy. And by (laughs) by the way,
1: Microsoft is green. I hope they feed them. That's for sure. A guy, (laughs) Dami. CMG, sister. Wow, burrito blowout. Um, Tim?
4: CCJ, look, uranium didn't die overnight, even though oil prices have pulled back. The same secular reasons are alive and well for owning uranium.
1: Karen Feinerman. Yes, the other day was
5: final trade with sell. United rental calls. Now want to buy them back. Wow. They report tomorrow.
1: Hmm. Fast money. Yeah. All right. Thank you for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, do not go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.